Thank you for coming out and worshiping with us today. On the evening of May 15th, as I stood there, uh, watched the church burn, even at that time I knew that uh, the Lord was going to use this fire for His glory and for our good. Scripture says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So even that tragedy, I knew he would use for good. I also thought and told somebody almost immediately that there would probably be a time of pruning within the church, followed by a time of growth. I based a time of growth on my previous experience through our building process of the worship center and the kitchen and the classrooms during that process, we grew from an average attendance of 150 a week to over 233 with an average growth per year of almost 6%. After the building was completed and we moved into the new worship center, our attendance jumped about another 25% in the next two years. But then we reached a point where we couldn't put two consecutive positive years of growth together for the next 11 years, so we sort of plateaued there. Now obviously there are a lot of reasons for that and perhaps many that we will really never know. But it certainly seems, and during the process, it certainly seemed as if the old axiom, if you build it, they will come. There's a certain amount of truth to that. Building creates a lot of enthusiasm, especially once we can all get on the same page, pulling together for a common goal, a common cause. That's the potential for the growth on one side. But then there is the pruning side. And that's taking place even right now and maybe even before the fire and before we recognized it. I knew there would be pruning. If there's going to be growth, there has to be. John 15, verse 2, Jesus said, The Father cuts off every branch in me, in Jesus, The Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. We will be pruned in order to produce more fruit. That's why I say we can't merely replace what we had over on Elm Street, because that isn't the purpose. We've been transplanted. We've been pruned so that we might bear more fruit. But let's don't make that pruning worse than it has to be. Pruning hurts. Think about it. The branch, the limb, gets cut off. It weeps, and then it produces more fruit. Pruning takes on several shapes. One, people will move. I know Pastor Terrence, who will be with us here in a couple of weeks, experiences this to a tr- great, uh, at a tremendous level in Lakewood. They will raise up some leaders, get them involved, and then before they know it, they're moving. Once they get their lives kind of stable and under them, their feet under them, they're off to Texas or trying to move to Idaho or anything to get out of the rat race that they find themselves in. It's not uncommon at all for Terrence to have three or four key people uh, leaving for one reason or another, mostly to go on to perhaps greener pastures. 
Or another form of pruning is people will become ill or even, even pass away. Or unfortunately, maybe even fall away. But another method, and this is the one that we are in danger of, is that we wind up in conflict and someone is pushed out or gets upset and leaves. As I said, pruning hurts. The life we live, the day in which we live, is so filled with stress and anxiety that many of us are simply living and getting by at the breaking point, not unable to handle even one more stress. So trying to work together and having so many opinions and ideas results in hurt feelings, misunderstandings, or sometimes understandings, and maybe we don't like what we see. And that's just on our local level here. This is taking place on a national and even on an international worldwide level. I was looking at two situations this week in particular. One took place at Liberty College and the other with Rabbi Zachariah International Ministries. Liberty University sued its former president, Jerry Falwell Jr., for breach of contract. He had been awarded $10.5 million severance for getting caught with his shirt off and his pants unbuttoned with his wife and allegedly her boyfriend. Terrible things going on in the church, in the Christian realm. And I understand plaintiffs were given the go-ahead to be able to sue Rabbi Zechariah's international ministries. I don't know if you followed Rabbi Zechariah or or familiar with who he was, but a great apologist. Uh, many people followed him and benefited from his teaching. And then upon his untimely death, uh, discovered that, uh, that he wasn't uh, everything morally that they expected. Had a, owned a couple of massage parlors, and, and uh, it was just, uh, just rocked that part of the Christian world. And so some Christians are suing that ministry to get their donated money back. Now, obviously, our issues are much different than these and much less. But they all have one thing in common, and that is Christians in conflict with one another. And what is the proper way to handle the conflict? From the home to the local church, even to international ministries. So today I want to speak with you about the right way for a Christian to right a wrong. I want to speak with you about four principles for dealing with Christian conflict. I'd like to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll read verses 1 through 11 for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world... Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 
Instead, you yourselves cheat and you do wrong and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So four principles for dealing with Christian conflict. Number one, keep it within the church. Keep it within the church. Paul says, dare you, dare you take your conflict to the law in front of pagan court? And he goes on to say, don't you know? Don't you know? It's as if, if you don't know, you haven't been studying, you haven't been listening, you haven't been reading God's word. Don't you know that you, believers, are going to judge the world? You're going to judge angels? Maybe you didn't know that. But as believers, you're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. J. Vernon McGee puts it this way. He said, this is not talking about the judgment at the great white throne, which will be the judgment when the lost appear before Christ. No, this has to do with the adjudication of the affairs of the universe down through eternity. Saints will judge the world. The saints will judge the world. I believe this has to do with what Paul wrote in, in, to Timothy where he said, If we suffer, we will also reign with him. So number one, saints will judge the world. Number two, saints will judge angels. Paul is using a series of know you nots. When Paul said, know you not, you can be sure that the brethren did not know. This was a polite way of saying that they were ignorant of these things. This certainly opens up a whole new vista of truth. He says, I do not understand what this means. It is beyond my comprehension. All I know is that man was made a little lower than the angels. And through redemption, man was lifted into a place of fellowship with God, a position above the angels. Also, God permitted man to fall. He never would have permitted that if he would not work it out for good. It will result in bringing man into a higher position. The old bromide is not true that says that the bird with the broken wing never flies so high again. Man flies higher. We are going to be above the angels. We are going to judge them and have charge of them. May I say again, this is beyond my comprehension, but I believe it. And I share J. Vernon McGee's sentiment exactly. It is beyond my comprehension, but it says it there, and so I believe it. And because of all of that, Paul says, keep it within the church. Divorce, lawsuits, custody hearings. You ever been in the system? You ever been in the legal system? You ever been in the welfare system? It's, it's man's worldly wisdom. It's the best man can come up with, and it is lacking. It is not something you want to be involved in. Visited with a judge friend of mine this week. He said, don't, don't get in it. Don't get in the system. You don't want to be there. For believers, don't go to court. Don't go to law. 
unless you have no choice, unless somebody has, is suing you and dragging you in there, or perhaps maybe you're suing some kind of a, some kind of a corporation or, or something of that nature. But believers, Christians, are not to go to court against other believers. Number two, follow the Christian ideals for conflict resolution. Follow the Christian ideals for conflict resolution. And these are the conflict ideals here. I have three of them for you. First of all, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. That is A, alphabet letter A. You can write down Matthew 18, 15 to 17 there. We spoke of it last week. We should speak about it regularly. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We spoke about that last week. And the way you treat them is like a non-believer. It's not like you wash your hands of them, but rather you treat them as though they did not know, as if they did not know the Lord because they're behaving as if they do not know the Lord. So, Conflict resolution, first of all, A, Matthew 18, right there. Apply what Jesus taught right there. Paul also says it would be better if you were wronged. It would be better if you were wronged. We'll go back to Matthew 5, 38. Matthew 5, 38 and 39, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. A number of years ago, as I was out in the secular world, I was, I was being sued. And when the suit was settled, I wrote a check and I added 50 bucks to the amount that we had agreed to. At the time, that was the cost of, another, of a cloak. That was the cost of a coat at that time. Somebody sues you. Somebody wants to take advantage of you, take money from you. Jesus says, give it to them and give them more than what they ask for. It's better to be wronged, Jesus said. It's better to be wronged, Paul said. And see... It's better to be cheated. It's better to be cheated. Look at verse 40 of Matthew 5 also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Someone's cheating you, you give to them. Demanding you go one mile, you go two. That's how Christians are to resolve their differences. We're to defer our rights and let it go. And not, and not allow resentment to, to continue and to build up. The principle is, well, let's put it this way. Let me share a story from 
Harry Ironside, a great preacher from the last uh, century, said he tells of a story when he was only eight years old. His mother took him to a meeting of the brethren, a church meeting, a business meeting. They were discussing some kind of difficulty among themselves. Evidently, there was some terrible injustice that one felt others had done. And young Harry Ironside, who was eight years old at the time, did not know what the trouble was, but it was clear they were deeply disturbed. And he said that one man stood up and shook his fist and said, I don't care what the rest of you do. I want my rights. That's all. I just want my rights. And there was an old half-deaf Scottish brother sitting in the front row. He cupped his, ear, his hand behind his ear and asked the man, Brother, what's that you say? And the fellow said, well, all I said is I want my rights, that's all. And the old man said, your rights? Brother, is that what you want, your rights? Why, the Lord Jesus didn't come to get his rights. He came to get his wrongs, and he got them. And Harry Ironside said, I will always remember how that fellow stood transfixed for a little while. Then he dropped his head and said, you're right, brother, you're right. Settle it any way you like. And in a few moments, the whole thing was settled. Follow the Christian ideals for conflict resolution. Number three, don't take it to people who don't understand you. Don't take it to people who don't understand who you are. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? So if they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, what are we as members of the kingdom of God going to them, asking for their advice, asking for their judgment? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or or nor drunkards or slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Once again, he says, some of you were like that. That's what you were like. In a couple weeks when we have Pastor Terrence and, and his group from L.A. here helping us build our, our portable class or temporary classrooms out here, Rose is going, to be, is going to come with him. We've shared her testimony back last summer. She was, uh, she was a husband in a, lesbian, in a lesbian marriage. All she was after was love. She thought that God loved her. She thought that, that what she had in this relationship was love. And she knew that God was a God of love. So he wouldn't deny her this. But she's come out of that. That's what she once was. Paul says, some of you were like that at one time. Now, as I said last week, all of us struggle with some of these at some point in time. But Paul makes it very clear the wicked will not inherit the kingdom. So why would you let them settle your disputes between members of the kingdom? And this applies not only to lawsuits, but, uh, but counseling as well. Secular counselors have some understanding of principles regarding human behavior. But you have to be very careful going to secular counselors and taking their advice. Mostly, they're not going to give you Christian advice. They're probably 100% not going to do it. They do not hold the godly wisdom that separates us. 
Theirs is man wisdom. Theirs is worldly wisdom. They can only take you so far. I have a friend who is a Christian counselor, but also does secular counseling. Because some people come in and they don't want to know what the Bible says. They don't want to know what God says, but they want help dealing with their issue. And so he will share from a secular standpoint. But at that point, he feels as if his hands are tied. He can't give the best advice because the best advice is what comes from God. Do you want to go? Do you, the question is sometimes asked, do you want the good stuff or just the worldly wisdom? Because there is a difference. And because there is, we as believers are to behave differently. There may be a time, as I said before, to go to law when you're being sued or drug into court or when you've been cheated by a secular company, but not Christian on Christian or Christian spouse on Christian spouse. Don't take your issue before those who don't understand you. And number four, you are totally different. You are totally different. As a believer, you have a different nature than a non-believer. Your spiritual DNA is different. Back again to the second part of verse 11. You just say some of you were like this before. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You used to be like that, but now you're washed. I think a wonderful example of this is, is the institution of the Passover back in Egypt when the Israelites were slaves there. And as a judgment on Egypt, God was going to pass, the death angel was going to go through the country and the firstborn of every family, and even from what I understand, all the livestock, every firstborn was going to die. And the only way around that was if you would, and this was for the Israelites, and this actually was, it, this is where the Passover was instituted, and then eventually this is where our communion ceremony comes from. But every Israelite was to take a lamb and was to kill the lamb. We, we sang this morning that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is that Passover. He is the, it's his blood that's sprinkled on our hearts that changes us, that, that justifies us, that brings us forgiveness. So you were to take a lamb, that lamb representing Jesus Christ, you were to kill it, you were to take the blood and you were to put that over your doorpost. And then you were to stay in there. If you stayed in there, if you didn't run downtown to see the Egyptian boys or girls or weren't caught outside doing something you shouldn't have been doing, if you stayed in there, that night when the death angel came through Egypt, you would be spared. Everybody who was not within a house that had the blood over the door the firstborn was taken. If you did what God said, put the blood up there, it didn't matter what you did before. It didn't matter what kind of person you were. It didn't matter all the good you'd done or all the good you hadn't done. The only thing that mattered that night was the blood. And were you under it? Were you protected by it? 
were you washed in it? Have you been washed in the blood, the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? That's a great old hymn there, a couple of verses, or a couple of lines from it. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You're different. You're born again. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're washed in the blood. B, you're sanctified or made holy. You are set apart. You're consecrated. You're different. So don't be dragging his glory into a secular court by demanding your rights. Instead, accept the wrongs like Jesus Christ did for us. And see, finally, you are justified. You are justified. Over in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans 3, 24. In fact, I'll read 23. Romans 3, 23, very familiar passage, should be, all have sinned. Everyone in this room is guilty of it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, took his blood, put it over the doorpost. That was his sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. You see, a holy God who said that the wages of sin is death, who said that the day you sin, you will die, he had to stick to his word, and he has to punish sin. Sin has to be punished. My sin has to be punished. I have to pay the price, and that means eternally separated from God. The solution for that is the blood of Jesus Christ washed over my life, and then I am justified. The price has been paid at that point. As I shared earlier, I was visiting with a lawyer, a judge friend of mine, and I asked him this week about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. What do you think about that? Kind of would do away with, with a, lot of a, a lot of your court cases. What do you think if, uh, about a Christian not taking Christian to court? And he said, you never want to wind up before a judge. You don't want a judge to determine the outcome. You want to settle it as quickly as you can. And I would add at this point, you do not want to wind up before God without settling this matter ahead of time. Without, by faith, accepting Jesus Christ, accepting His atoning sacrifice. Scripture says all of our works are nothing but filthy rags. We have nothing to offer to God. Jesus has taken care of that. At the funeral yesterday, I was talking with a fellow believer who's from a sister church locally, and, and he shared in the past, a few years back, that either the church had sued the pastor or the pastor had sued the church. And just a reminder of how real this stuff is in our world. 
and a reminder that that is not what the church is about. We are different. And we will have differences with each other. But we have to be extremely careful to settle them in the appropriate, in the appropriate way. And Paul has certainly outlined and shared that for us here this morning. Do you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for this very timely reminder. This very timely reminder that takes us from this point of pettiness, Christian with Christian, and takes us up into the holies and says, don't you realize, don't you know, someday you're going to judge the world. Someday you're going to judge angels. So get it figured out. Get it figured out right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you especially, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the humiliation he was willing to go through. Thank you for the pain and the suffering emotionally and physically that he was willing to endure on our behalf. Thank you for the spiritual darkness that he was willing to endure as he cried out to you, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you, Father, that there is a way that wrongs can be righted. Thank you for the part that you did for us that we could not do. Now, Father, give us the wisdom and the strength and the faith to do the part, to deal with the part that we are capable of dealing with and do it in a way that pleases and glorifies you. Father, from our marriages and our families right into the church family, help us to conduct our lives once again in a way that brings pleasure to you. We thank you and we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.